Crimes against the person and property. There were few brand new crimes against the person or property in this period, but a great deal of change in the ways in which these crimes were committed, which led to changes in the law. Another change was in the crime rate, which rose dramatically. This was due to a rise in crimes against property. Factors causing increased crime. The period 1700 to about around 1850 saw an increase in crimes, such as street theft and burglary, drunk and disorderly behaviour, prostitution and public disorder. Reasons for this included people travelling more and moving into towns meant that fewer people knew each other and communities were less tightly, tightly knit. Larger towns made it easier to escape being caught. Some criminals became professional within dens or gangs of thieves. An extreme poverty that led to a rise in survival crimes, such as stealing food. Changes in highway robbery, a crime against the person. Highway robbery increased in the 18th century because improved roads led to more people travelling, increased trade between towns meant more goods and money were transported by road, Many roads were isolated, making it easy to get away with highway robbery. In 1772, to try to reduce highway robbery, it became a capital crime to be armed and in disguise on a high road. Mounted patrols on major roads and the growth of the railways helped reduce instances of highway robbery, which disappeared completely in the 1830s. Changes in poaching, a crime against property. Poaching increased in the 18th century, with poaching gangs that worked on a larger scale. This led to the 1723 Waltham Black Act, which made poaching a capital crime and also made it illegal to carry snares or own hunting dogs in a poaching area. Many viewed this law as unfair. Many poaching laws were repealed in 1823. Changes in smuggling, a crime against property. Smuggling increased from 1740 to 1850 because the tax on imported goods was so high. Smugglers made large profits by bringing these goods into the country without paying tax and selling them on. This led to large gangs of smugglers, such as the Hawkehurst Gang, which smuggled huge volumes of goods. Mounted customs officers tried to prosecute smugglers. They found it difficult because of the large areas of the coast to patrol. Taxes were cut in the 1840s and smuggling decreased. Many people thought that smugglers were heroes who brought, good, who brought them cheap goods. They thought the government was being unreasonable. Lots of people were involved in smuggling. Crimes against authority. There were many changes to crimes against authority in this period. Some activities such as witchcraft ceased to be crimes. Charges of treason fell in this period also but the government found other ways of dealing with those they viewed as a challenge to their authority. Witchcraft After the Civil War, the number of prosecutions of witchcraft declined. All laws concerning witchcraft were appealed by the Witchcraft Act of 1736. People who claimed to use magic were subject to fines or imprisonment. However, although most people's attitudes and the attitude of the authorities had changed, some still clung to their superstitious belief. Witchcraft stopped being a crime because economic and social changes led to more prosperity and political stability. Some still believed in witches and the devil, but others, especially the educated, became less superstitious.
the Royal Society set up by Charles II led to increased scientific experiments, which explained things previously thought to be the work of witches. The Tolpuddle Martyrs in 1834, in Tolpoddle, Dorset, a group of farm workers formed a friendly society, an early form of a trade union, to protest about their low wages compared to other farm workers' wages. The farm owners and the government feared they were losing control of their workers. The six men were arrested for taking secret oaths, an old law intended to stop naval mutinies. The six were found guilty at their trial. They all received the maximum sentence of seven years' transportation to Australia in an attempt to deter others from forming trade unions. News of the Tolpuddle Martyrs' sentences spread quickly due to the press. There were mass protests and a petition of 200,000 signatures collected in opposition to their harsh punishment. The Home Secretary decided to continue their sentence and the six were sent to Australia. Protests continued and in 1836 the martyrs were pardoned and returned home. The significance of the Tolpuddle Martyrs. The incident highlights how authorities used laws to criminalise people they viewed as a threat. It shows how the government would protect the interests of employers at the expense of workers. The pardoning, and pardoning of the martyrs illustrates the impact of public opinion. The martyrs inspired some to fight for workers' rights, but others were put off by how the martyrs were treated. The six martyrs were George Lovelace and his brother James Lovelace, Thomas Stanfield and his son John Stanfield, James Hammett and James Brine. Law Enforcement Industrialisation and urbanisation were major factors that increased the crime rate after 1700 and created a need for better law enforcement. As a consequence, this period saw the development of more official forms of policing. Continuity and change in policing Watchmen continued to patrol cities on foot at night and parish constables dealt with petty crime. Soldiers were used to put down riots and large protests across the country. There were some changes in London though, as from, 19, as from 1749 the Bow Street runners tracked down the criminals and stolen property. From 1754 the Bow Street horse patrols patrolled the streets. The Bow Street runners. They were established in London in 1749 by Henry Fielding, Chief Magistrate at Bow Street Court, to try to tackle the huge crime wave of the 17th century in London. Fielding's half-brother John took over in 1754. At first, they charged fees and collected rewards, but by 1785 they were, five, they were paid by the government. They introduced new methods of finding evidence to bring criminals to justice, the first modern detectives. They branched out to patrolling major roads, both on foot and horse. The patrols were less successful than the detecting side, as there were not enough of them to deal with the dramatically increasing crime rate. They also shared information on crimes and suspects with others, the beginnings of a crime intelligence network. Development of the police force from 1829 to 1900. 
1829, the Metropolitan Police Act began Britain's first professional police force in London. In 1835, the Municipal Con Corporations Act, borough councils could set up police forces in the area, but only around half did. In 1839, the Rural Constabulary Act, countries could set up a police force, which two-thirds of the countries did. 1842, the detective department was set up in the Metropolitan Police Force headquarters in London. 1856 was the Police Act, forced ta all towns and counties to set up a prof professional police force. And in 1878, Criminal Investigations Department, CID for short, set up the Metropolitan Police Force. The setting up of the Metropolitan Police Force, also known as the Met, was largely the work of Robert Peel. The 1856 Police Act was an act that made professional police forces, which were based on the model of the Metropolitan Police, compulsory across the whole country. All forces were funded by the government and were regularly inspected by officials employed by the government. Police officers were not only tasked with keeping law and order, preventing crime through patrolling the streets and arresting criminals, but were to detect criminals after crimes had been committed. The aim of all activities was to deter crime. Changing views on the purpose of punishment. The period saw a change in attitudes to the purpose of punishment. Transportation and public executions stopped and imprisonment as a punishment increased. A timeline. In 1610, transportation to America begins. In 1770, Eastern Australia was claimed for Britain. In 1774 was the Jail Act. In 1776, American War of Independence stops transportation to the USA. In 1787, transportation of criminals to Australia begins. In 1787 to 1868, over 160,000 people transported to Australia. In 1822 was the last hanging for shoplifting. In 1823 was the Jails Act. In 1825 was the end of the bloody code as capital crimes reduced to 122. In 1842 to 1877, 90 new prisons were built. In the 1850s, transportation slows down. And in 1868, transportation was abolished and there were no more public executions. Factors that changed the views on the purpose of punishment. Rapidly growing crime rates led the government to increase the bloody code throughout the 18th century. The number of capital crimes re reached a peak of 222 in 1810 in an attempt to deter crime. However, it was clear that these deterrents were not working and a new strategy was needed. Continuing the idea that punishment should be about retribution and deterrence, the 19th century saw increasing feelings that punishment should be equal to the crime committed, Corporal and capital punishments were inhumane except for very serious crimes. Punishment should also be about rehabilitating the offender. This led to a decrease in the use of death penalty and the end of the bloody code and an increase in other forms of punishment, firstly transportation and then imprisonment. 
This change in attitude also helped lead to the ending of public executions in 1868. Transportation to Australia. The increase in crime rate The increase in the crime rate increased transportation to Australia. Once the criminals worked for settlers for seven years, providing free labour to build infrastructure. Most stayed in Australia once their sentence ended, as they couldn't afford the fair home. Transportation ended by 1868 because Australia was no longer needed force. Australia no longer needed forced labourers. The discovery of gold made it an attractive place to go, and it didn't want criminals. Some felt it was too expensive and not a strong enough deterrent to a crime. Others felt it was too harsh for both the criminals and their families. More prisons had been built and the prison was increasingly used instead of transportation. Prisons and prison reformers. Conditions in the 18th century prisons were very poor, but they were increasingly used as a form of punishment. Many thought prison conditions should be poor with hard labour, but several reformers believed that prisons should be improved to increase the likelihood of rehabilitation. John Howard John Howard's work led to the 1774 Jail Act, which suggested how health and sanitation in prisons could be improved. Elizabeth Fry began visiting women in Newgate Prison in 1813. She set up an education classes to reform female prisoners and teach them useful skills. She also got them better food and clothes and treated prisoners with kindness and respect. The work of these two reformers influenced Peel's prison reforms. Pentonville Prison, a case study. Pentonville Prison was built in 1842. It was a model for a new idea about how prisons should be run and prisoners treated. It was known as the separate system. Pentonville was the model prison. The wings of the prison housed dozens of individual cells and a staff base. Walls were very thick to prevent prisoners talking to each other. Within the prison there were areas where prisoners were sent for fresh air and exercise. They were masked to prevent communication. Within the cell, each cell was 4 metres by 2 metres. There was a loom for working on. It had a small barred window, a wash basin and a toilet, a bed, a mattress and a blanket. The chapels in the prison had individual cubicles so prisoners could not see or communicate with each other. Prisoners undertook monotonous and repetitive work that, to begin with, was done in their cells. The main reasons for the separate system. One reason was for her rehabilitation. Solitude was sought to be the best way to provide prisoners with an opportunity to reflect on their crimes, turn to religion and therefore reform their ways. It also meant that prisoners could not be influenced by other criminals. The cell provided everything they needed so they didn't have to leave it other than for short spells of exercise. Another reason is for retribution. The isolation and boredom made the criminal pay for their crime. And another reason is as a deterrent. It was a serious punishment and was therefore thought to act as a deterrent for committing crimes. Strengths of the separate system was, compared to previous prisons, it was clean and there was far less disease as prisoners were separated and many people thought that it provided the right level of punishment. It was seen as harsh but not overly so. Weaknesses of the separate system. 
The continuous isolation led to mental illness and a high suicide rate within prisoners. And there was no education or instruction to provide new skills for prisoners to use when they were released. Robert Peel, a case study. Robert Peel had a huge influence on both punishment and law enforcement when Home Secretary during the 1820s. He ended the bloody code by reducing the number of death penalty offences and tried to reform the prison system. In 1829, he persuaded Parliament to pass the Metropolitan Police Act, which set up the first professional police force in London. Robert Peel reformed the Penal Code. After 1810, there were an unprecedented number of capital crimes. According to the law, someone could receive the same punishment for murder as they could for petty theft, the death penalty. In practice, the death penalty was rarely used for petty crime, as judges thought it was unfair and transportation or, pr or prison was usually preferred, which meant that the penal code made little sense. In 1825, Peel reduced the number of capital crimes by 100 because he wanted less harsh punishments for petty crimes and he wanted to try to reform petty criminals rather than kill them. Prison reform. Partly due to the influence of reformers such as Elizabeth Fry and John Howard, Peel tried to improve conditions in prisons through persuading Parliament to pass the 1823 Jails Act, which stated that Chaplains should regularly visit prisoners. Jailers should be paid, therefore are unlikely to take bribes from prisoners. And prisoners should not be put in chains. There were no inspectors to enforce the act, so the impact was limited. The Metropolitan Police Act in 1829. In 1822, Robert Peel set up a parliamentary parliamentary committee to look into the issue of policing London which helped him come up with the idea of a centralised police force across the whole city. The crime wave resulting from the ec economic downturn in 1823 helped Peel get the act through Parliament. Metropolitan Police Officers the central aim of a metropolitan police officer was to prevent crime and disorder and to be totally impartial and objective. Recruits were carefully selected and well trained. It was a full time job and fairly well paid. Members had a uniform so they could be identified and didn't look like soldiers. Members were usually unarmed and were trained to use minimum physical force only as a last resort. They focused on patrolling areas where crime was high. This successfully reduced street crime and disorder. The police officers were not popular at first, but soon recognised by the public as being honest and trustworthy.